Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Most of you don't care, I know, but <laughs> I thought I'd pivot a little bit and just uh, take a little break from 1 Peter. We just finished chapter 4 of 1 Peter. We'll jump back into the last chapter of 1 Peter next week, 1 Peter chapter 5. But this morning, I want to talk about uh, all of us keeping our eye on the prize. There are uh, athletes, all the athletes throughout Greece would converge on what is called the Isthmian Games in, in Corinth every two years during the spring. The Isthmian Games were games in honor of the Greek god Poseidon. And so the most prominent building in Isthmia was a temple dedicated to Poseidon. There's also a stadium, a theater, and a hippodrome. Is that like a hippo drone? I don't but they're all used for the athletic competitions. And there was a small structure that was situated near the Poseidon Temple where the athletes would take an oath to abide by the rules of the games. If they broke that oath, well, then they were disqualified from the games. But the athletes would compete in foot races and wrestling, boxing, uh, throwing the discus and javelin, a lot of stuff we're familiar with, long jump, chariot racing, Poetry reading and singing. You didn't know they were, that singing was a competition. It's an athletic event, right? So, Jairus, an excellent athlete, my friend. <laughs> Actually, according to several inscriptions that are contemporary to Paul, women competed in these games as well. The inscriptions mention uh, women winning the 200-meter dash as well as the war chariot races. So, that's cool. Everybody was involved. You know, I'm just thinking about uh, today being Super Bowl Sunday, and it, NFL football is still my favorite sport to watch. We won't get into that discussion with some of you guys, but that's okay. But to know how much I enjoy watching NFL football, I watched almost every game of the Indianapolis Colts this past season. So that's to show you what a sports fan I am. They were 4-12 and 12 and 1, so it was painful, but we watched. And all you Cowboys fans, you can relate, right? Sometimes it's, it's hard to watch your team, um, but Cowboys were good this year. They're a good team. But I, I you know, honestly, I just enjoy watching a good game. I'll watch an NFL game. I'll watch a college game, you know. Uh, I'll tune in for March Madness. We just like to see good competition. As long as it's a good game, you know, it's competitive. I enjoy watching sports. I think that's why probably a lot of parents enroll their kids in sports, right? There's a lot of life lessons you can learn. From sports, uh, children can learn commitment, self-discipline, mental toughness, teamwork, handling fear and failure, you know, resilience, goal setting. There's a lot of things that kids learn through athletics. But I think there's a lot of spiritual lessons that believers can learn also through, through sports, which is why I believe God inspired the Apostle Paul to pen the words that we find today in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, where we'll spend our time this morning. Can we just pray once more, and let's invite God to, to help us understand what it is He has for us this morning. Father God, we come before You with a, a sincere need that we all have here this morning, and that is a need to hear from You. 
We understand that you have said that apart from you, we can do nothing, and apart from the work of your Spirit, to illuminate our minds to your truth, we can't even understand that. And so my prayer this morning is for my own heart, always first and foremost, but for every other heart in this room today, that we would enter into this time of studying your word with that prayer, Lord, illuminate my mind to your truth. And not just to understand what your word says, but Spirit, help us understand what this has to do with my life today. How can I apply this in my race called the Christian life? And we will give you the praise when we leave here, Lord, transformed and encouraged and renewed because of having been here this morning to worship and to learn. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So here's a question that I hope all of us can answer by the time we leave here this morning, and that is, how is your race going? How's your race going? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 say this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. We need to run the race to win, is what Paul is saying. All of us as, as Christians have entered the race called the Christian life. All of us are running the race, but not all are running to win. In this race, there's a starting line and a finish line, like, like all races. The starting line, I believe, is when you first believed in Jesus Christ. That's when your race began. At that moment, you were called to run this race called the Christian life. And the finish line, well, that's heaven. That's when we reach heaven. That's when our race is over. For a lot of you here this morning, many your race began many moons ago. I don't know. Maybe you entered this race when you were just a child and you've been running a long time. Others came to faith in Jesus maybe much later in life, and your race is just beginning in many ways. But whether you began that race many years ago or only just a few, we're all called to run the race like we want to win. What does Paul mean when he says, run to win? Because that's what he says in that verse, run like you want to win. What I, what I think he's saying is just, Take your faith seriously. Take your faith seriously. I think to understand that the reason God has given us life in Jesus is to live, at, uh, to live out our faith in Jesus every single day of our lives. And in the context, Paul's writing to believers to remind them that there is a race going on and they are in it. Because we do tend to forget that at times in our Christian life. And every believer who's in this race needs to run it like they want to win. In other words, press on in your race. We need to hear that from time to time, do we not? Press on. Keep striving. Don't stop running and press on to win the prize. That sounds like Philippians chapter 3 when Paul said, Not that I've already obtained this or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because... Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then he says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, this morning, the race isn't over yet. 
we're still running. And as long as we have life and breath and opportunity, we have to continue to run and to run to win. Paul wrote that passage in Philippians some 30 years after his conversion. He understood that though he was maybe in his later years of of his life on earth, though his body was failing at times, uh, he could have a lot of reasons to slow down or even stop living out his life for Jesus Christ, but he refused. He knew this is why he was put on the planet, was to run. And he knew this was the reason that God called him to run this race. But the same is true for all of us this morning. We're all called to run. We're called to run and to run like we want to win. I came across a a new study um, from Pew Research. They projected that by 2070, Christians will likely make up less than half of the U.S. population. And with all statistics, we understand that there's statistics. But I think the point can still be made. It says that currently 64% of people say they're Christian, but nearly a third of those raised Christian, eventually switched to none or nothing in particular, while only about 20% of those raised without religion become Christian. When I read that, what I hear is there's a lot of people that have dropped out of the race. What about all the people that um, do say they're Christian still, but maybe they stop running to win? What I read in this is what I've already experienced personally in my own life and what I see everywhere I go. Christians, you just stop running. You just stop running the race. doesn't mean that you stop being a believer. Once you believe in Jesus Christ, we understand that here. You are born again. You're given everlasting life as a free gift. It's something you cannot lose. So we're not talking about Christians just being Christian. We're talking about Christians actually living out their faith in every aspect of their life. When it comes to that, Christians seem to be dropping out left and right, and I'm sure that's the experience that you've seen in your own life or maybe your kids' lives or your grandkids' lives, right? You raised them right, but where are they now? They stopped pursuing Jesus in their personal life. They stopped growing in their spiritual maturity. There could be a lot of reasons why that happens. Maybe they had a negative experience with church or or another Christian or a pastor, right? We probably could all uh, give a story about somebody's story that we've heard, or maybe that's your story. And you know, I just, I don't want to go anymore. Maybe, maybe life just kind of chewed them up and spit them out, you know, and they've sensed that maybe God wasn't there for them and they just kind of gave up seeking God. Maybe, maybe they're just tired. They're just tired. They did that for so long and they're just tired. Or maybe their priorities now in life are different and they changed and God's just not that important in their life. Listen, I, I can sympathize with all those reasons very honestly because I've been there, done that on a lot of those things for years even at times in my life. I know what it's like to be sidelined as a believer because I once dropped out of the Christian race throughout my entire teen years, into my 20s. And looking back now in my life, I see now how I was derailed. So it can happen, right? 
We're not here to criticize and condemn anyone that's dropped out because we all can probably relate to them in some way. But what I'm encouraged by is that it's not a recent epidemic. We're not the first ones to want to just give up or just slow down or just quit living your life for Jesus Christ. Christians in Paul's day were dropping out. Paul wrote to the Galatians and he asked them this, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were doing so good at one time. What happened? So here's the question, I think, for all of us this morning. Has someone or something caused you or hindered you from running to win? From giving your all, all of your life and all of who you are for Jesus Christ, who or what has caused you to stop running? That's what we're talking about. Notice that Paul here equated running the Christian life with obeying the truth. And I love that comparison. Because running to win means we're living in obedience to the truth of the Bible. It means that you, you enter each day with, with a surrendered heart that says, God, I want to obey you today. How can I please you with my life today? It's really a prayer of surrender. My, my wife and I have started this in the last few weeks, praying together when we do in the mornings, and we we're praying, God, I surrender everything I am to you today. My heart and my mind, my hands and my feet, my tongue, everything that I am, I want to surrender to you today. Do with me, do with my day, whatever it is you would have. And even last week, Shayla prayed, God, I surrender my colon to you. <laughs> right? Because it's yours. And all that I am and all that I have, I want, I want it to be yours. So I think the first question that all of us here this morning as followers of Jesus need to ask is, have I stopped obeying the truth of the Word of God? Have I, have I maybe stopped looking for new ways to obey? You realize that obedience is a continual thing. We're always learning how to better obey the Lord. Jesus grew in obedience. He learned obedience. Have we stopped looking for ways to be more obedient as we grow in our faith as a believer? Am I running like I want to win? That's the question. And the second thing that Paul mentions here is that we need to run for the prize in verse 25 because he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. And so if we understand that all of us here this morning are in this race together and that all believers should run to win, what are we actually running for? Paul said that athletes in his day ran to receive a crown that is perishable. What, maybe a banana crown? I don't know. That'd be perishable. Actually, the winner in, in these games, the Isthmian games, would, would be escorted to the judge's seat, which is called the Bema, the Bema seat. Bema just means a, a platform or raised place or step. And they come before the judge at the Bema, and the judge would sit and give awards to the victors. 
And the victors would receive a perishable wreath of woven branches of parsley, wild celery, or pine. And then they would eat it afterwards with a little ranch dressing and a glass of Chardonnay. No, I don't know. I'm not sure I'd even enter the race if I knew that's what I was running for, but that's just me. It's actually a crown called the Stephanos crown, and it really carried a great deal of significance to these athletes in their time. It was uh, the Medal of Honor in their time, the gold medal, the blue ribbon, the first place trophy. It was the very best award that you could win. And it wasn't the, the crown per se that I think the athletes were competing for, but for the glory that came with it. But like all things in this world, the crown and the glory will fade. Does anyone remember who won the 1970 Super Bowl? No one? No one. I don't even know. Just Google it. Let me ask you this. Who won the Olympic gold medal in croquet in 1900 and 1904 when it was a competition? Anyone? 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 No one remembers. It was uh, America and France, by the way. But we don't remember most of the time, right? But God is saying, hey, as one of my children, when you're running the race to win, you're running by the rules, you can receive a crown that will never fade away. It'll never perish. It will always be remembered. And he can say that, and he can promise that, because he's the judge who is the all-knowing, perfect judge, Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible speaks of uh, five, some say four crowns that believers can receive at the Bema seat of Christ when our race is finished. The crown that I think Paul's referring to here is called the imperishable crown. It's a crown that's available to every believer. And there's uh, a list here of, of the crowns, but this crown is really a crown awarded to believers who, le who led a disciplined life. There are believers here that ran their race by the rules and they ran to win. That's what he's talking about. Not perfectly. Not that they didn't get derailed a time or two. All of us are guilty of that, or 20 or 30 times. But they ran the race by the rules and they ran to win. When Peter uses the word here, competes, he says when anyone competes as an athlete, he's actually using the Greek ver verb agonizomai, which means to get in shape in order to participate in the games. It's, it's where we get our word agony. In the Isthmian Games, athletes train for 10 months to prepare for the competition. Today, Olympic athletes train their whole lives, right? They, they train years for once every four years to compete in this sport. But in the Greek Games, that were in honor of the Greek god Poseidon, mind you, athletes wanted nothing more than to run their race and to win so that they could, at the finish line, proclaim, my God is the greatest. I think the point that Paul is making here is that the Christian race is, is not something that we can enter into very casually or carelessly. In fact, when a Christian understands the importance of their life, 
their life that, that Jesus bought and paid for with His own blood, there's nothing more important to them than giving their life for Him. To run their race in the best way that they can. We discipline our bodies, he says. We, we devote our lives, not for a crown, not for the glory, but for the God that we represent. Jesus Christ and His glory. We run for Him to please Him at the finish line. That really should be our motivation. So that when we stand before Him, we can say, along with the Apostle Paul, I fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. I gave all I had to live my life for the glory of Jesus Christ. I want the world to know that my God is supreme. Yeah, it was hard. It was agony at times. But it was absolutely worth it. Do you want to receive that prize from the Lord one day? That's what we really have to ask ourselves. Do I want to receive the prize? In light of that truth that God's revealed in that passage there, in this passage, and in light of the future event called the Bama Seat, which we've covered in previous weeks, that we're all going to stand at one day by ourselves. In light of all of this, how do we respond? If you're here this morning and say, that sounds great. It sounds like it's a lot of work, though. <laughs> How do I respond? Well, run your race. Run your race. The verse, uh, verses 26 and 27 say, Therefore, this is how Paul responded. I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul said that in light of all this, I'm running my race to win. I don't run aimlessly. I'm not, I'm not like anyone else. I don't run aimlessly. I don't fight like I'm shadow boxing is what he's talking about. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. I think some translations say uh, I buffet my body. Oh, wait, buffet. Buffet my body and I, I make it my slave, he says. Why? So that after I proclaim Jesus, after I proclaim the gospel to others, I myself would not be disqualified. Well, what's that mean? Well, the word disqualified in Greek actually means disapproved. So we're not talking about Paul being in fear that he wouldn't make it to heaven. He's not talking about his eternal salvation. He never feared losing his salvation because he was secure in that. He understood that salvation is a free gift. And it's available to all who would believe in Jesus. But what he feared was losing his reward. He feared standing for Jesus and being ashamed that he lost out on these heavenly rewards because of his own lack of self-discipline. Paul expressed that same sentiment when he wrote to Timothy. He exhorted Timothy to do the same. He said, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, who rightly handles the word of truth. Here, here's a sobering and convicting thought for all of us as believers today. It is possible to stand in the very presence of Jesus Christ one day, 
<clears throat> the one who was crucified for our forgiveness, whose blood purchased our eternal life, we can stand before Jesus Christ and be ashamed. I think that has to be the conclusion there. It was a very real fear for Paul that drove him to live a disciplined life. Does it drive you like it drove the apostle? I cannot honestly say that the fear of displeasing the Lord one day drives every decision I make every day or my behaviors every day. Especially after studying this and preparing this message, I was thinking, I don't know that I fear displeasing the Lord. I mean, now that I think about it, yeah, I do. I don't want to, but I don't know if that's a daily motivation, as it should be, though. I want to please the Lord, not just negatively, like I'm going to be ashamed and I don't want to um, the Lord to find my, my work on earth in disapproval, but I want to be a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who is approved, because I ran the race to win and I ran it by the rules. I lived the Christian life the way Jesus Christ told me to live it. But the more I handle the word of truth accurately, which I think means more than just understanding what it means, but understanding what it means in my life. The more that I do that, the more that I am then driven to please God with my life. There's, a, there's another reason that believers should lead a disciplined life, and I think the context really um, shows that here. The, the context of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 is really about reaching the lost. As well as the end of previous chapter, chapter 8, Paul's explaining how he disciplines his life so that he might have an opportunity to share the gospel with an unbeliever. That's what he's talking about. When he spoke of self-discipline, he did not have physical discipline of his body in mind necessarily, though that is important. Uh, if you remember that he wrote to Timothy again, he said, physical training is good. I think he said it like that. It's, it's good. That's probably how it came across in the Greek. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. So training ourselves for godliness promises eternal benefits like the ones that we just mentioned, the rewards in heaven, pleasing the Lord when you, when you reach the finish line. All those things are yet to come. But he says there's benefits in this life as well, and those benefits are seeing other people come to know Jesus like you do. Is there anything better than a, than a soul being saved for eternity? I mean, that's the only thing that really matters at the end of the day is who's going with you. Who are you going to be with there in heaven? But the way that other people come to know Jesus Christ is through people like you and me. Living a godly life in, in such a way that it causes those people to say, hey, I want to know what's different about you. I, 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 see, I see the joy and the peace and the love the quality of your life, and I, I see that I'm missing something. And God ordains those conversations, I believe. And when you live in such a way 
that Jesus is your life. You're consumed with the Lord, not in a fanatical, weird kind of way, right? But in a way that attracts people, causes them to want to listen to what you have to say. And I think the, the believers today, oftentimes I see this, I think we disqualify ourselves from these rewards and the opportunities to share the gospel with others because of our lack of self-discipline in the area of Christian liberty. If you read through chapter 9, 1 Corinthians, you'll find Paul, what he's saying is that as a Christian, he had the right to enjoy all of these liberties that, it, that he could have enjoyed, right? Granted, those liberties aren't sin. We're not talking about indulging in sin, but things that, that some people may abstain from or be, partake in. He could, Paul could eat meat offered to idols. Remember, that was a big thing. There were Christians eating meat, and they were offered to an idol. Paul's like, you know, it's meat. There's only one true God, you know? So I'll take it medium well. I don't know what he said. But, but think about this. Go with me on this, because this is what I, what I see here. Is he could have enjoyed these liberties. He could eat meat offered to idols. He could enjoy wine. He could observe the Jewish festivals that, that the Jewish law required. However... If in the exercising of his Christian freedom, he had to participate or not participate in these liberties, uh, if, if participating or not participating caused someone else to stumble, if something that he was doing would cause someone to pull away from him, and he therefore would lose an opportunity for the gospel, then he didn't do it. He says, it's not worth it to me. The person and the soul is worth more than my liberty. And he said to the Jews, I became a Jew for the sake of the Jew. When he was around Jews, guess what? Paul observed Jewish custom. He, he avoided the things that the Jews avoided. He didn't want to be a stumbling block to his fellow brethren, the Jews. He didn't want to lose an opportunity for the gospel if he would come in and hang out with the Jews and they're all observing Jewish custom. And he's like, I don't need to do that stuff anymore. I have Jesus. You know, that would have really won them over, right? But he didn't do it that way. He didn't approach it that way. I have freedom. <laughs> anyway. When Paul hung out with the Gentiles, I'm sure it was similar. Those not under the law is what it says there in the passage. He became like the Gentiles. He didn't observe Jewish custom. I think Paul probably attended the Isthmian games, even though they were in honor of a Greek god, a false god. I think Paul may have still been there. Because think about the opportunity he had to share the gospel. Paul wasn't some sanctimonious Christian that whenever he walked in the room, people kind of tightened up, you know, and... You automatically feel judged. You're not as holy as this guy walking in, you know. He didn't bust down the door with the gospel. Paul earned the right to be heard through his love and his grace, being a godly man of character. He was all things to all people so that he might win some. That's what Paul said. 
He disciplined his life in such a way that he, he adapted to his environment. He became a servant to all people so that he might be able to share Christ with anyone at any time. And here's what I think the, the point of all this is. Paul's greatest obstacle to running his race the way God called him to run was himself. I think we all have to see that. It's not someone else. It's not that church that did me wrong. It's not that, that Christian that was a hypocrite. It's not this, this all, all the evil in the world, uh, you know, Satan. May, our greatest hindrance to running our race that God has called us to run is ourselves. I imagine as, as a righteous man that Paul was, striving to live righteously, he probably found the, the behavior of the pagans detestable. But I'm guessing if as a pagan you met Paul, you'd never know that. When was the last time that you sat down with an unbeliever and were able to look past their sinful behavior or their appearance or whatever it is that puts us off? When was the last time you sat down with them and saw them as a person made in the image of God and a person for whom Jesus died? I imagine as a pagan meeting Paul, they probably wouldn't know how detestable he saw their sin and their behavior. I imagine as a, a former law-abiding Jew, Paul was probably disgusted by the hypocrisy he saw with the Jews, right? I mean, here they are claiming to be righteous, following the law, yet he knew that on the inside, behind closed doors, they were just as sinful as the pagans. But I don't believe most of the Jews who met Paul would have ever known that. Actually, Paul loved the Jews so much, get this, and you, you're familiar with this passage, Paul said, if I could go to hell instead of them so that they could be saved, I would do it. Wow. Hmm. That's challenging. Paul disciplined his self, his life, to be all things to all people so that he might win some. You know, winning, winning people to Jesus, we say winning. I just, from my old Baptist background, we used to do soul winning. Woohoo! You know, so I say winning. But helping someone understand who Jesus is, understand his offer of free salvation to all who believe is really God's desire for, for all people and it's God's desire for us to, to see people come to know His Son, Jesus Christ. That's really the primary reason that we're left on the planet. That's really the primary reason that we're here as a church, is it not? To reach people with the gospel. But I'm afraid Christians a lot of times today, I think we do a lot more harm to the gospel than good. 
And I, I think mainly it's an American thing. I, don't, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but I, just, I feel like Christians in America today, we have this struggle, don't we? we? We are much more concerned about our rights and our liberties and our personal kingdoms than God's. We don't really love people, actually. We'd much rather call down fire from heaven to destroy those sinful people. Because we love ourselves. We, lo we love our freedoms. We, we love our, our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's what we're about. Not holiness. Doesn't that sound really optimistic from me? <laughs> uh, I always tell my wife, babe, I'm a realist. She's <laughs> like, no, you're a pessimist. Well, whatever. Just keeping it real. I want to be more hopeful. I do. I know that nothing is impossible with God. But I also see the pervasive spiritual slumber in the church of America. And I see it a lot of times because I see it in myself. And that's why, folks, we have to discipline our bodies and our minds to keep it under control, lest after we proclaim to the world the gospel with our lips, our lives undermine the message. So how does a believer who wants to run to win the prize live? How do they discipline and train themselves for godliness, which is what we're talking about? The first thing we need to understand is that to train yourself for godliness means it's oftentimes that your flesh doesn't want to do. It's things that, that you don't want to do. And so I think a lot of it has to do with denying the flesh. You see that all throughout the New Testament. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Deny the flesh. Even though it can be agonizing at times. I found just a, a short list of spiritual disciplines that, that a follower of Jesus can use to train himself for godliness. And again, we are a grace church. We understand that we are saved by grace and we live by grace. We're not saying that here is a list of things that if you do these things, it equals godliness. What we're saying is these are thing, practices and things that you can discipline your life so that you can uh, put you in the presence of God. It can give you opportunity to... To, to see God work, it's, it's a list of surrendering maybe your own desires for what you know God desires us to do, what God commands us to do. And so we do these things whether we feel like it or not. But we have to continue to, to hear biblical preaching and teaching. We have to participate in corporate worship in the Lord's Supper, and reading our Bibles, and meditating on the Scriptures, or prayer, and fellowship, or maybe there's times where we deny our Christian liberty, things that we rightfully could probably do, but maybe it's a hindrance or a stumbling block to ourselves. Do you ever feel like it's hard to pray? Isn't that one of the most hardest disciplines to do? I always feel, I'm down here praying this morning, it's like, Lord, I just don't feel like I prayed enough, you know? It's, I don't know if I'll ever get away from that, but why is it so hard to pray? 
You ever feel like it's hard to, to get up and go to church on Sunday morning? Every mornings I'll wake up and say, babe, I, I just don't feel like going to work today. She's like, well, it's Sunday and you're the pastor. <laughs> you probably got to go. Do you ever find it hard to, to, to get some quiet time with God in your crazy, busy, whatever world, right? Isn't it hard to just get alone? Even, even for 15, 20 minutes seems like it's impossible sometimes to get alone and to open your Bible and to read and to say, Lord, speak to me today. To meditate on what you read. It's hard. And doesn't your flesh always give you excuses? That's the default. This is why I don't need to do this or to go or to pray or to read my Bible or to spend time with other Christians in fellowship. Always battling the flesh that says, no, you got more important things to do. It's okay. Put it off. You don't need it. Not that big a deal. If you say yes to any of those things, you're in good company. Because even the great apostle Paul himself said there are things that he wants to do that he just doesn't do. And the things that he doesn't want to do, he finds himself doing. And I don't know all the personal struggles with the flesh that Paul had, but I do know his solution is universal. And his solution is for all of us today that may struggle in these same ways. And he says that in Romans 7, when he thinks about this constant battle that he loses oftentimes over the flesh, he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? This is Paul speaking. My life is dominated at times by the flesh. Who's going to save me from this? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Jesus is the answer for that. It's the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus is supreme in our hearts and minds. He's on the judge's seat. He's on the throne. He calls the shots. He tells us how to play by the rules. And he awards the rewards at the end. And so, fix our eyes on Jesus. Not to sound cliche, but that's what Hebrews 11 says. Hebrews 12, sorry, I put 11 in there, but it's 12. Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race set before us. Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Eye on the prize. Eye on the end. Christians this morning, let's run our race. Let's run like we want to win. Let's, let's deny the flesh. Let's throw off everything that hinders us. You know what it is for you. It's different, I imagine, for all of us. But let's throw it off and let's run with endurance the race set for us like we want to win. I want to close with just uh, sharing a little story of one of my best friends and mentors, Jerry Smith. Jerry is 
on hospice and probably going to be with the Lord anytime. He may even be there now. But Jerry and Amy Smith have just been a profound influence in, in my and Shayla's life over the years. From the first time we went into ministry until this picture last May. When we got to see Jerry, Jerry and Amy, I mean, they came to California. He, he was on staff at Biblical Ministries Worldwide. It's a mission agency, and he was part of the uh, church revitalization um, arm of that mission agency. His job was to go around to churches and encourage churches and to help them understand how to, how to live out um, their existence as a church in a good way, in a right way. And he had such a, an amazing effect on, on me and Shayla and our church. But just over the years, they constantly stayed in touch with us. We connected with them several times through the year. They invested in us. They, they spent time with us. Jerry, we had meals with them, prayed with us, checked up on us. And Jerry even played golf with me. What a sacrifice, this man. Um, last May, they live in Atlanta area, which is where the mission agency is. And we actually lived there for a few years just to be under his tutelage even more. But we were there last May, and this is a picture that uh, was taken of us with he and Amy. And Jerry wasn't doing so well. He's, uh, he's in his 80s. But I tell you what, man. The guy never stopped running. He, he still had guys that he was mentoring in his 80s. He still had people that he invested in and he reached out to and prayed with. And, and he still, he, Jerry knew everybody in town. We'd go and, and we'd get good seats at the Italian restaurant because he knew the owner. He got to know them. He became friends with them. It's like, who is this guy? Jerry was just one of those all things to all people kind of guy. You just couldn't help but love Jerry. His love for Jesus just emanated out of him. And I'm one life that's been changed because of it. We did not plan this stay. Obviously, you know, at the beginning of last year, we didn't know my wife would be diagnosed with cancer. We didn't know we'd be going to Atlanta for her surgery. But guess what? We got there. Some folks and friends found out we were there. And you know what they invited us to? Jerry's birthday party. That's what this was. Just family and me and Shayla. And as it turns out, it's probably the last birthday that he will spend on earth and the last time that we will have seen him on earth. Are you running your race to win? Are you disciplining your life in such a way that you won't be disqualified from the prize? You're striving to give all you have for the one who gave his all for you? Because the race isn't over, folks. A lot of people still need to know Jesus Christ. God has called us to be his hands and feet to reach them with the gospel through our love and our transformed life. Are you running to win this morning?
Father, thank you for this passage and for Paul's life. A man who came to know you a little later in his life, but boy, he, he sure made up for it. He didn't want to waste a day. He gave his all. He fought the good fight. He finished his race. And he kept the faith. May that be said of us, Lord. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for the um, elite Christians. It's for all of us here that struggle day to day. Help us to know, God, the race set before us and to run our race for you. We ask for help, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.